buying or selling a business, there are a lot of points to consider. From a tax standpoint, to hiring the right employees and management team, especially if you won't be involved in the daily operations of the business, you need to set realistic goals, analyze how the business is performing, and make sure that everyone in your business has a common direction in mind. Welcome to the Michael Saunders Show. Host Michael Saunders and co-host Warren Whitus are here to answer your questions with a high level of expertise and knowledgeable guests. Now, here are Michael and Warren. Welcome to another segment at the Michael Saunders Show. I'm Jesse Jameson, along with Warren Whitus and Michael Saunders. Tonight, we have a very special guest joining us, Mr. Aaron Raw. Aaron has his own YouTube channel, and uh, he a lot of times does... uh, creation versus science debates with uh, creationists. He probably wouldn't like to do those debates. He'd like to, you know, be able to shake some sense into some of those creationists. <laughs> and hopefully tonight we can uh, get a little idea as listeners to what Aaron has to say, you know, kind of what's going on in his head and why he might feel that maybe the creationists aren't necessarily being upfront with their audience, uh, at least not in all ways. So Aaron, nice to meet you. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I made the mistake of signing up for classes again, so I'm taking 15 credit hours on oh, Lord. everything else that I already do. So that gets a little tight. Uh, and this weekend, I'm supposed to be giving a presentation in Orlando and haven't adequately prepped for that while I'm trying to knock my homework out of the way before I can get started on <laughs> Time has become a huge issue. You know, it's in, it's interesting you say homework because I've listened to probably 100 hours of your videos through the years, and I feel like you give a lecture, so to speak, where it feels a little like homework when I'm listening, but I love your videos. In case you've never seen an R and Raw video, he does a complete series on, you know, basically how to disprove Noah's flood, yeah. how to disprove this, that, and the other, and they're extremely interesting. Aaron, the other day I watched a video of you and what is the gal's name? I want to say DM Murdoch. DM Murdoch. And you guys were talking about that Moses was a myth. Now that's something that for us Bible believers or us Christians, I'm by the way, I'm I'm not a Bible sola scripturist or a literalist. I'm just a believer. Uh, But it's one of those things that obviously when we hear, we kind of cringe a little. But I'd like you to kind of discuss that, and maybe you can even discuss a, a little bit about Miss Murdoch and, you know, her studies uh, to, to get these answers. Well, was, I, was Moses I, a myth, or is that is were you just? I mean, just joking. The only indication that I would personally have, not being an expert on uh, you know, on history or anything, I, that that Moses didn't exist, is that obviously Moses couldn't have written about it where he was buried, right? So we know that other people are writing this. But then as I talked to a number of historians, uh, I remember like uh, Robert Price was one that, uh, that, that he, he told me that, that historians are, have, or that the, the majority of historians have long since given up on a, on a historical Moses, but they obviously can't convince believers of that. I mean, we know that a handful of things uh, that, 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 that was written about didn't really happen. You know, like, uh, like the, the, the worldwide flood certainly did not really happen. Uh, and we have a good idea what that was based on. And we know that uh, the, the story of Genesis, uh, Genesis 3 and, and, um, it, it, and parts of 2 are based on a collection of other myths or seem to be based on a collection of other myths from uh, elder polytheistic pantheons in 
that same area. And the Persians and the Mesopotamians had very similar legends. And if you want to think that there's any sort of a historical truth to the Tower of Babel, which is otherwise another preposterous thing that we know didn't happen, but there's kind of a symbolic truth to that one. In that uh, Mesopotamia once taught cuneiform reading and writing. So they would have students in classrooms learning how to read and write in cuneiform. And then when the, when the Mesopotamian Empire fell, these classes obviously stopped and everybody lost the ability to read quite soon. So that, that uh, in a generation or so, nobody's learning this anymore. So all of these old traditions were kept, about, kept alive by oral traditions. The people weren't going through the trouble of making the little clay tablets to, to mark in them or even keep up the written language anymore. So if you keep telling these stories in lots of different campfires all around the entire region, you'll notice after a thousand years or so that there have been some changes. You know, it's a kind of an evolution, if you will. And so they would, they would adopt and integrate uh, elements of different stories. And so you would have the same kind of parallels occurring in this story as, as had already occurred in this one. You know, that's why there's, there's certain elements of Jesus and Moses and Sargon all had the, like the same childhood in some aspects. You know, so like some themes just keep repeating themselves because they're popular. But in case, in case the listeners at home are thinking, well, this makes sense. Those religions just copied off of, you know, the Judeo-Christian religion. <laughs> they technically predate the Judeo-Christian religion by how many, how many years? Well, it would be safe to say about a thousand Okay, so, so, so there's definitely, if one copied off another, we already kind of know who, who would as far as based on chron- chronology. Yeah, now as uh, I remember reading uh, articles to state that, um, that there was a, a scholarly opinion that Zoroastrianism contributed more to the formation of Judaism than any other religion. So Zoroastrianism predates Judaism, and of course, rabbinic Judaism predates Christianity, too. And it's hard for me to get a lot of Christians, at least in Texas, where all we have are fundamentalist types, or so it seems. They would, they would say that, uh, that Christianity is the oldest religion and everything else copied off of that. And I, I tried to tell somebody once that, that you know, um, the Rig Veda and the, the Vedic scriptures of Hinduism in general, was the, long, was the oldest religion in continuous practice, older than Christianity, older than Judaism, on which Christianity is based. And he just couldn't buy it, because that's not, not the way he was raised. I've seen people violently react on the accusation that Jesus was a Jew, because that's just the, the kind of uh, prejudice people have. Yeah. Well, yeah, he, he, he's Catholic, Aaron. Um, <laughs> hey, Aaron. He's Catholic now, right? Hey, Aaron, um, I do have one question here real quick. What's that? I was, I was reading something. I was listening to one of your uh, YouTube videos, and you mentioned something about and Maybe I didn't – maybe I misinterpreted, but I thought you said Catholics are not really Christians. And I, and I'm, no, I was, a, a I was, common was, argument that I frequently hear. Uh-huh. Is that is that Catholics are not Christians? Which oh, okay. I try to illustrate to the to the Protestant who's saying that to the usually the the Southern Baptist or Pentecostal who's making that comment, right? They want to throw out the Jude- the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, and they certainly want to throw out the Mormons, right? Yeah, they they can't be Christians, right, so sure. they just want to throw out. All right, so you're you're reducing your demographic by twelve million people in one shot, okay? And then throw out the JWs too. But when you throw out the Catholics, now you have a problem. Because you want to tell me that, that, that Christianity isn't a religion, it's a philosophy, except that you can't give me a philosophy behind it. And when we talk about what is the world's biggest religion, it's Christianity. How could it be the world's biggest religion if it's not a religion? 
So then they have to accept, okay, Christianity is a religion. I made my point, and, and so, but it's the world's biggest religion, except for the Catholics aren't part of it. Well, if the Catholics aren't part of it, then you lose over half of your numbers because there are more Catholics worldwide than there are anybody else in right. Christianity. Right. All of the rest together. So uh, if Catholicism is not Christianity, then Islam is the world's dominant religion already. It's going to be anyway, eventually, and probably pretty soon. But if, if Catholics aren't really Christian, then Islam is the dominant religion, and Christianity is the fourth largest religion. After, Hindu, after Islam, then Hinduism, then Catholicism, <laughs> and then Christianity, just above the Sikhs. Okay. Because I, I was raised Catholic, but of course I don't, I don't practice anymore, and I'm, I'm still I'm more agnostic than anything. I don't really know what the hell to believe in. Warren, 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 we are so upset at you. No, uh, Aaron, I have, I, have a, I have a little Kent Hovind question for you. Oh, my God. He says at the beginning of every debate, whether it's with you or Bill Ludlow or somebody else, he says, I believe the statements in the Bible are 100% true, 100% accurate scientifically. But then he says, I'm not asking people to pay for my religious belief. If he really believed something was 100% true, 100% scientifically accurate, wouldn't he insist that the public schools teach what he believes? The difference between Hoven's perspective and my perspective is that one of us cares what the truth is. <laughs> and that one of us has an idea what the truth is. Now, for myself, I prefer, I, I, having once practiced, you know, two different religions, in a sense, and thinking that I had the truth both times, I've had to reevaluate my understanding of the word truth, and I've come to understand that truth is what the facts are. It's what you can show to believe, what you can show to be true. And if you can't show the truth of it at all, by any means whatsoever, you can't call it truth. It would be dishonest to declare it such. So you can right. say that you believe something, but you can't just state that it is. I told Warren and Michael that from outside views or, or listens, it might come across like Aaron Ra is closed-minded. But Aaron, before you were an atheist, you were, I, I, I don't want to say kind of like a paganistic, but you said yourself you were spiritual, you believed inside your gut, I guess you had a burning of the bosom that there was something, right? Well, uh, a soul, or you've said this before, and I find it interesting because... What I don't want to describe it as a bur burning of a bosom, bosom right, so like, much as a right. clouding of the mind. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I was a neo-pagan occultist at one point, and then the reason was not to try to impress anybody, is because... I thought that there was scientific evidence of supernatural things, uh, specifically psionics, uh, tele uh, telepathy, uh, remote viewing, astral projection. So I was heavy into transcendental meditation. I wanted firsthand experience of all these things. So I, I did the Ouija board thing, thinking I'm, at some point that I'm actually communicating with something because that's how it's, it's so easy to fool yourself with religious belief. But what got me was twice when I realized that I had fooled myself. And one of the second time was when I realized that I was fooling other people. And I realized that I was fooling other people before I realized that I was fooling myself. The, the whole occult thing, especially in the 80s, was like the prime time to do that. I remember that it, just the right ambience. 
the right set of drums or firelights, whether it's a, whether it's an actual fire or whether it's candles or what have you, you know, just, you just set the stage, set the mood and get people psyched into whatever it is that they already want to believe in. And you can get them to see it, hear it, feel it. You, it is so easy to create this thing where in their own mind, they'll cause the positive feedback loop. And so reverberate it into themselves. And then I realized that I could never get a Christian to see Krishna just like I could never convert a Hindu into Christianity if they hadn't already been re- lived in the culture. So it had to be something that you were already primed to believe. You had to be culturally conditioned to believe in that and have an inclination to believe in that. And then I can show it to you and you'll feel it and you'll know it and you'll go out and brag the rest of your life how you had this wonderful experience. And I know it's fake. Yeah. One of the things that you've said before is that if I grew up in a Muslim country, uh, my natural default would be Islam. And for the longest time, I thought, no, but, you know, the reality is you're true. You're true in that statement because the reality is if mom, dad, grandpa, and grandma were uh, Islamic uh, Mohammedans or whatever you want to call them, uh, I probably would have been too. A lot of the things that you say are very truthful. And like I said, one of the things that really helped me kind of listen to you more was when you had brought up your past, you're an open-minded individual because usually people that start off with like a a pagan background, paganistic, spiritualistic, however uh, the term you said, they're usually very open-minded. So what it it sounds like to me, you got yourself an education. You started educating yourself on the different subjects, whether it be archeology span or biology, or, or maybe you know a little bit about all of those ologies, right? And you slowly came to the reality that you know, you got to go with the truth. So I agree with you completely on that, uh, on that front. No, thank you. I also, I want to clarify because there's always somebody that wants to correct me and sometimes they're right. You know, so I mean, uh, if we're talking about history, I only know what I, what I, what I know because this is, this hasn't been my life's exploration. So, you know, I, that's why I say that I've, I've read this or that this historian told me that, you know, because especially when you when you talk about history, those people can get pedantic. <laughs> yeah, I'll just just leave that alone from there. I prefer to talk about things that can be proven. So when my thing with with creationism, I'm open to talking about creationism because those are claims that the creationists make that we can prove to be false, unequivocally, objectively, that. Right, you see, you say there's no beneficial mutations. Here's a list of them. You, you say there's no uh, there's no uh, transitional species. Here's another list of those, mm-hmm. and we can prove each of those things. But when you talk about interpretations of scripture, I couldn't be less interested, because to my experience, the apologetics has always been well. If you if if every time it says this, it means that, except on alternate Thursdays when on a new moon, then you can get it to say whatever you want it to. And that's the way I see these biblical interpretations, especially on when it comes to prophecy, where the five words out of the middle of this 13-word sentence mean something completely different than the other words in that sentence. What? Why? <laughs> and that makes no sense. You know, we're going to be going to break soon, but Aaron, the truth is you and I think all atheists would love to be wrong in this, right? Because we all have friends, family, and people we care about that have passed on. So it's not like in your heart of hearts you want, you know, there to be no God and no afterlife and no heaven. I believe we all would love to see our loved ones that have passed again. But at the same time, you have to be, you have to be true to reality 
And especially in our schools, you know, I would love to believe that my belief in the afterlife is absolutely true. But to try to push it into the public school system, I believe would be absolutely wrong. So in that regard, I agree with you. When we get back from break, do you think it would be fun? And could we talk a little bit about your run for Texas politics? Because you really, you really wanted to get this to make sure it got out of the schools. And I think from some of your videos, didn't some of the creationist stuff actually make its way into the schools? Yeah, we, 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 there's a lot to talk about there. We'll talk about it. We're going to go to break. <laughs> We're going to go to break. <laughs> Stay right tuned. Back. Stay tuned. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to The Michael Saunders Show. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. That's sales at yourbusinessbrokers.com. Now, back to The Michael Saunders Show. Welcome back to The Michael Saunders Show. We have a very, very special guest that we would like to keep having our discussions with. Uh, Warren, do you have the first question, or Jesse? I have the second one. If you guys don't have that, up. well, go ahead and ask him your question, Michael, because that was that was of more importance, I think. Yeah, I, the big thing is is you know you started in 2017. You resigned your position as the president of the Atheist Alliance of America to run for the Democratic ticket for the Texas State Senate against the Republican Bob Hall. Uh, you eventually dropped out after his failure to your failure to secure the Democratic Party endorsement. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it's premature to call it a failure, though. I clearly never got any endorsement and nor was I ever going to. And I think that was pretty obvious. Oh, okay. uh, however, the, the fact is that in previous elections here in my district of Texas, there had been for the last three election cycles, the Republican runs unopposed. They just have a Republican primary to decide who's the state next state senator is going to be. There's never, there's never been a Democratic candidate in the last three election cycles. So the, I was determined that there was going to be this time. But after the election of Trump, the political scene completely changed. 
And instead of being one Democratic candidate for the first time in three cycles, there was suddenly five. That's right. And, that's true. and uh, three of them dropped out pretty quick. And one of them went on to a different position, which I think he secured. But, but one of the guys that was running against me in what would be the primary, I realized, was a much better candidate than I was. And I realized that you know, if I'd actually gotten the job, it would not have been to my advantage. It, it actually would have, been, uh, it would have been a pay cut because the way that the Texas Senate runs, it's, it, you work like every other year, so you have to be available to suddenly disappear for several months at a time. Yeah. So a lot of these people like, like they run their own lawyer or, or doctor practice or whatever so that they can take an extended vacation to go do their other job that only pays like $21,000 a year, I think it was when I ran. And the funny thing is, is the amount of money that you need to raise to do this $21,000 a year job. So I was told that in a normal election cycle, in my district, which is out of the way and nobody ever pays attention to it, that you would have to have $30,000 to start with to run your campaign. Now I compare that to some places in England where they have a a law that stops you at 30,000 pounds. You can pay no more than that. Where, Where they stop is where we start, which just shows how corrupt the system is. And I had a problem trying to run, one, I run off of donations. Uh, if, you're, if you like what I do, please support me. I need all the help I can get. Yeah, tell us, tell, tell us about that. Patreon and tell us all your websites and everything real quick. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash A-R-O-N-R-A. I'm a full-time activist, have been since 2014. And sometimes that gets a little tight. So uh, I do need all the support I can get, all the help I can get to, to appreciate it. So while I'm living off of donations, I'm now also having to ask for money for a political campaign while at the same time, I'm trying to run fundraisers for hurricane relief, you know, after, after what had happened in, uh, in the Virgin islands and in, and in um, Puerto Rico, you know, and I really, I just couldn't stand asking people for, for money all the damn time. You know, it's, it's one thing when I would have got a noble cause, the hurricane relief was, and it's one when I, when my life livelihood literally depends on it as the Patreon does. But it just seemed, I don't know, some kind of vacuous to be, to be pleading for money for a political campaign, especially when my opponent got a lump sum of $2 million. Mm. How's that possible? This that's is for hard, a job that's that hard pays, to compete against. That's hard to I compete mean, against. This is for a job that pays $21,000 a year. Yeah. Where did that come from and what was the most he's, behind he's that? He's been there forever. Yeah, the religious right is sitting on stacks of money. It's an inexhaustible supply. And uh, people who are not even part of the religious right themselves have interests in the fossil fuel, corp- uh, fossil fuel industries, which they use the, the religious right in order to further those ends. So it's not like there's any kind of morality involved in this. Aaron, didn't you originally put your hat in the ring because you – knew they were they weren't the um, intelligent design folks trying to get creation into the classroom and wasn't it kind of an important thing in your mind to prevent that and by the way I think that would be awful and if people are against me as a Christian for being against creation in the classroom I wouldn't want Islam I wouldn't want the Bhagavad Gita or whatever you know is called you know that the Bhagavad Gita yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't want any of that taught but I do believe and I think I've heard you say this before, Aaron. If somebody had an elective uh, religious studies class, uh, maybe as a junior or senior in high school or in college, of course, I, I, I wouldn't be against that then. 
but as far as just standard curriculum to graduate from high school, I, I, I am totally against that. Let me, let me tell you just a summary of my, my real issue with creationism and in, uh, to a lesser degree, to, to my problem with religion in general. The statement that goes against the rules where people will tell me, religious believers tell me all the time, well, I know for a fact that there's a God. No, you don't know that because knowledge is demonstrable with measurable accuracy. You can show what you know. And if you can't verify the accuracy of your claims to any degree at all, by any means whatsoever, then you don't know it. And it's not a fact because a fact is objectively uh, verifiable. Right? So it's, it's a point of data that, that is either not in dispute or, or is indisputable because we can prove it. If you, if you, uh, if you state that it is a fact that, that the Bible says X, right? Well, I can show you where it does. Or if it doesn't, right? If, if, I, if I say that it, it's not a fact that it doesn't say that, and we've had this argument many times, the Bible doesn't say that, where does it say that? They can't ever show me. And then they'll tell me, well, the Bible doesn't say what I said it does. Well, yeah, I can show you exactly where it is. And then they won't look because they know. So that's establishing a fact. So people will want to argue that, that they want to they pretend to know things that no one even can know. It is dishonest, and I say this all the time, it is dishonest to assert baseless speculation as though it were a matter of fact. But that's what all religions do. Now, if they would concede that, hey, we just want to believe this, and we don't have any evidence to provide to, to, for why we should believe this, Okay, fine. At least that's being honest. But in stating when they, when they start telling me who God is and what God wants and and what He hates and what He will do to whom and for what reason, you're you're making an awful lot of assumptions on the top of a thing that you can't even show even exists in the first place. So I just see religion in total being fundamentally dishonest. But creationism is necessarily dishonest. Every claim creationism makes falls into one of two categories, either not evidently true or evidently not true. Well, no, that's religion in general. Creationism just requires frauds, falsehoods, and fallacies. That's it. Creationism has to lie knowingly. They have to misrepresent the fact. They know that there's beneficial mutations. They know that there's transitional species. They know what evolution really is and that it's not what they purport it to be. They know that there's no such thing, that evolution does not teach ever any such thing as one kind turning into another fundamentally different kind. That's just a lie that creationists have to tell knowing that they're telling a lie. So when you get a classroom full of sequestered students, you need, they have rights. Now, their parents, granted, have a right, unfortunately, to lie to their children and mislead and deceive them however they want to. That's unfortunate, but how do you, how do you solve the conflict? I believe the children have a right not to be deceived, not to be lied to, at least. If you can't trust your parents, and who can, at least, <laughs> at least don't let the teacher, the state-funded teacher, be lying to the students. Now, if you sign up for a religious school, the children should just get a pamphlet. Okay, you're going to a religion. You know how they had that? They wanted to put a sticker on the on the on uh, on uh, the evolution classes, warning: this is just a theory, which is another lie, by the way. Uh, gravity is just a theory. Atomic theory, just a theory. The germ theory of disease, relativity, just theories. That doesn't mean they're not true. Every modern scientific theory is also a fact, or at least it's a body of fact. 
But of course, they have to misrepresent it, however they want. I got into a debate. The first moderated debate I ever had was with somebody who was courting the State Board of Education on wanting to teach creationism and intelligent design and, and teach against materialism because they want magic to be a, a valid scientific explanation for things. He admitted to me that he knew that there were transitional species in the fossil record, but he admitted as part of a moderated debate that he wanted to teach students that there were none, knowing that there are some, but he wants to teach that there are none because he said it was important that they believe there are none. So he admitted in front of moderators that it is okay for him to lie, knowingly, deliberately lie to other people's children in order to deceive and mislead them into his religious perspective. That is fundamentally dishonest, as all creationism is. And that includes, by the way, intelligent design. Everybody who wants to distinguish intelligent design from creationism, sorry, Kitzmiller versus Dover, we already proved intelligent design is just creationism in a lab coat. We know I'm better. Glad, I'm glad you said that because that was the ultimate reason why you didn't want it to get into the classroom. Because in essence, it's like giving Christianity a, a, a leg up over Islam or any other religion. And the reality is that belongs in a church or, or a synagogue or someplace other than, than school. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you completely there. Let me ask you a question. So we, we feel pretty confident that Moses was a myth. But here's a little boost from Aaron Ra himself to Christianity. We don't 100% know in Aaron Ra's mind that Jesus was a myth, or at least you didn't in the 2014 video I watched. Tell, <laughs> give, give our Christian listeners a little like, you know, is there a chance Jesus is real? We know that Jesus is composed of a handful of fictional characters and maybe some real characters. Even if there were only one real character, we still know that his legend includes concepts that were developed in other pantheons prior to that. Even one of the early church fathers, Justin Martyr, you know, comes up with all the excuses about how Jesus seems to be a parallel of all of these other gods that already existed, right? And then he himself paints Jesus as a, as a as a as as being carting the sun across the sky, like in Psalm, uh, what is it, Psalm nineteen? I can't remember. I can't remember. Forgive that. I can't remember that passage. But it occurs to me that Justin Martyr, one interpretation is that he's. Some people have interpreted Justin Martyr as talking about the devil being a time traveler and going back and creating these pagan gods before Jesus existed in order to discredit the Jesus idea. But that's not what I'm reading in this. Justin Martyr doesn't seem to me, doesn't seem to be talking about, you know, the devil being a time traveler. He's talking about Jesus uh, somehow pre-existing all of these other gods, like, like the reference to Psalm 19, for example, and that all these other gods came subsequent to him, which is ridiculous. You, we know that, that, that Prometheus, Prometheus bound and the stories of, of Dionysus and so forth and, 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 and a number of others are centuries older than at least what you would consider the historical Jesus to be, and yet they're based on all of these other ideas. Why would God create his son to be a sequel of an already popular human idea? So as I've often said, either Dionysus really could turn water into wine just like Jesus could, or Jesus couldn't do it either. And I think that's a more rational conclusion to make. I also think that there was more than one historical Jesus, and if there's more than one, then there's not any. 
Because if you have a time machine and you can go back and, and, and assuming you could find someone you would recognize to be Jesus, which I don't think is possible. But if you could find someone you thought was Jesus and you brought him forward in time and showed him Jesus Christ Superstar, he would not recognize that movie as being about him. Because you only brought one of them. I've gotten in arguments with Christians who have, who have identified Jesus of, of, of Damnius and Jesus Ben Ananias as both being their Jesus, as being, uh, as being Josephus's Jesus. How many Jesuses, your GZI, did Josephus have? <laughs> but I'm the Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, he seems to be a composite character, too. Okay. And then Robert Price, who I brought up before, um, you know, disagree with Robert Price all you want. He did come up with, a, with an interesting notion. When he pointed out when you read Luke, which I think is the one gospel. Now, I don't know, right? I just put it, but I'm told that, that Luke may be the one gospel who was actually written by Luke. As opposed to, you know, Matthew wasn't written by Matthew, Mark wasn't written by Mark. You know, but, but Luke might actually have been written by Luke. And the interesting thing is, is when you get to the story of uh, Joseph of Arimathea, right, who, who comes and, and, and finds Jesus on the cross and the two guys on the cross, and he goes, he, he, he goes and pleads with Pilate. Well, then you read, jo- then you read Josephus, whose Jewish name is, uh, what was it, uh, Joseph Ben Matthias, I can't remember. It sounds like Joseph of Arimathea, very, very similar. So if, the, if his Jewish name sounds so similar to Joseph of Arimathea, and he's talking about how he finds two friends and this other guy on crosses, and he goes and pleads with, um, oh, what the hell was it, Tiberius? I can't remember. Don't you hate when you have these senior moments and you can't remember important? He pleads, with, he pleads with Pilate to have the body, right? Well, it wasn't, but, but with Josephus, it wasn't Pilate. Aaron, hold that thought. Okay. Um, a lot of my... Our Christian listeners are thinking, Jesse, why aren't you giving it to Aaron? How dare he say all this? Aaron, the <laughs> truth is, I don't have the ability to send you to hell. And even if I did, I would never do such a thing. Then it's you're fire. more moral than your God. Congratulations. He's, he's entertaining, I, too. But, I, but <laughs> he is. But I am going to have to recommend some purgatory. I'm sorry. Everybody, hold on. We're going to go to a quick break. And uh, we'll be back in one minute. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. 
Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. listening to the michael saunders show if you have a question or comment about the show please send an email to sales at your that's sales at your now back to the michael saunders show welcome back everyone to the michael saunders show we've got a great uh, guest with us tonight uh aaron Ra, and we're going to continue on his uh with his uh, speeches and uh, everything else that goes on, and uh, uh, we're gonna we're just gonna turn it back over to you, Aaron. We're gonna talk about uh, whatever you like, whatever you like. It's it's up to you, Aaron. I have a trivia question for you. What's up? What is Kent Hovind's number? <laughs> number <laughs> that you call him? <laughs> Inmate number zero six forty five twenty seventeen. He started calling you uh, Aaron, or, or no, he said Aaron Nelson. No. And he was doing it to the point where it was obvious he was trying to throw salt in a wound that I don't even think you really cave, cared too much about. It was my family and, name, and it wasn't something that, was, that I was ever ashamed of. Right. And, and, you know? and it was just such a goofy thing. And all of a sudden, he basically, you know, sometimes payback is a you-know-what and now he gets referred. Aaron, I don't even think you call him Kent Hovind anymore. Predominantly speaking, you call him inmate number. <laughs> 0645 2017. <laughs> <laughs> Although, just for brevity, I have started calling him Kent Hovind. I don't blame you for that. I don't blame you for that. Yeah, I, I don't um, know if anybody caught the slight pronunciation difference from Kent. Yeah, we caught that. Um, <laughs> just change one letter there. Okay. What do, what do you think of Dinosaur Adventure Land? Oh and it's all about lying to it's kids. All about, it's all about money. And, and, and here's the thing. that Evolution is a real thing. We can demonstrate it. We can show it. And, and where he says that cows only see cows or, or farmers only see cows produce cows because he's so brain dead. He doesn't understand evolution. Never, ever, 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 ever would allow one thing to turn into another fundamentally different kind. That's the lie that I was telling you. They tell that they tell each other, but agriculture has been entirely dependent, both livestock and, and botany been entirely dependent on evolutionary principles for thousands of years. How did we derive, you know, all these different breeds of bovines? How did we derive all of these different breeds of dogs? How did we derive all these different breeds of corn out of maize? Which, and, by the way, and is micro and macro the same thing when it comes to evolution? Depends on what you're talking about. They are exactly the same processes, yes. There is a, there is a difference at the macroevolutionary level only because uh, microevolution is variation within a species. And then macroevolution is variation between species or speciation, the, the, the emergence of a new species. Now, once that happens, there's no genetic connection to the parent group anymore. And so where the, the, the dominant gene pool is usually restrictive, it actually inhibits new variation, especially in a larger population group. So when you have like people, you'd have, you know, 7 billion people around the planet plus and climbing uh, where they were one in global interbreeding population, you're not going to get any much variance at all. But when you isolate certain populations, now you have in a, in a smaller isolated group, you have more propensity for uh, new novelty 
to emerge from you know the constant flux of, of mutations that happen all the time. Every human zygote has an average of 128 mutations, so they're happening quite frequently. And then significant mutations build up much more quickly once you separate that population out so that there's no genetic flow between them anymore. I love videos on ring species because they always give creationists so much trouble. You know, what's interesting is we have created all the dog uh, breeds, mm -hmm. but here's the thing that I find interesting. If you were to have an island of Great Danes, you could probably use your imagination to see that, yeah, they're probably related to the wolf family, yeah? But if, if right next to that island there was an island of chihuahuas, I myself might see them more closely related to a squirrel. So the reason, <laughs> the reason we see them as, you know, oh, well, they're still dogs is because, yes, they are dogs, but we see all these breeds as Americans because we're lucky, right? We get to see a Chihuahua and the Doberman and the this and the that and the other. So we see the end product. But, Aaron, it, the reality is in the wild, if – Great Danes and Chihuahuas live, they probably wouldn't be breeding at all, right? Well, that's true. If they were in the wild, they wouldn't be breeding. So if, if all humanity disappeared and all of, our, all of our dogs were released into the wild, most of those you know, hundreds of breeds that the American Kennel Club currently recognizes would be extinct in a week, but not all of them. So we would have four or five genetically distinct variants that would all be still dogs, but they would be genetically isolated from each other and they would occupy completely different niches. So you would have one group that would be like foxes and one group that would be like badgers and one group that would be like small bears. And they would all be hunting in different ways, you know, and foraging in different ways. And another thing that, that I want people to understand about the lie about, uh, you know, one thing turning into another fundamentally different thing is they're still in the same parent category as all of their ancestors were just because they've, you know, they've, they grow, they've grown apart to where they're no longer interfertile with each other, but that's laterally. They're no longer interfertile. Like the great Dane and the Chihuahua have become so far apart from each other, even though they came from wolves, they now can no longer interbreed because of, you know, physical, di uh, physical differences or eventually, Genetic differences, because these genetic differences build up all the time. What I want people to understand is not all dogs came from wolves. Oh, I didn't know that. Did some come from foxes or something, Aaron? <laughs> it's not like that. Foxes are canids. They're very, very distant. That's why they look like they're – that's why foxes look like if you mixed a cat with a dog. Yes, especially when they're in a tree that. or something, yes. <laughs> so they are, they are a lot closer – to cats, but you still have a long way to go before you actually get, before you can fairly say that they're closer to cat, before you come to that cross in the, in the family tree, right? So they're, they're, the, the foxes are definitely on the canid side. And there are other fossil canids uh, that are every bit as ancient as, as foxes, but uh, are entirely extinct now and far more impressive than dogs we have today. So there was one, there was a group called the Borophagines which called the bone crushers. They had massive carnassals that could snap through a soup bone like a pair of scissors going through wet paper. Hmm. So really impressive 300-pound dogs that, that, that used, to hurt the, used to hunt the macrochenia in North America. And they are one of the reasons why they suspect that, uh, that, that uh, terror birds never, never successfully migrated into North America because they couldn't compete against the barophagines. 
And then there's the Hesperocynids and a number of others. So there's a lot of different ancient dogs. But we currently still have, uh, in South America, we have the bush dog, among others. Uh, in Asia, we have the raccoon dog, among others. And in Africa, we have Lacayan Pictus, the African painted dog, which has always been the subject of my nightmares. Is the hyena a dog, as Kent Hovind would say? Nope. It's closer to cats. Really? That's the interesting thing. You look at a fox, it's a little bit closer to a dog, but it still has cat-like qualities, right? You look at, <laughs> uh, you look at the hyena, kind of acts like a dog, kind of even looks like a dog on crack or something, right? <laughs> but the reality is it's, it's a cat. I well, heard, it's not I, a cat. I, I, it's, it's closer to cats. Uh, hyenas are actually a derivative of something called a, um, called a, a civet. Now, it, almost nobody in the United States knows what the hell a civet is because it's something that only exists in Asia. But if you ever see one, it's going to be the weirdest damn carnivorous animal you've ever seen in your life. If they've got a mane that goes all the way down the back, they've got these weird stripes and spots all over them. That, but they, they make some – they make some. <laughs> it's like you can order one from Chevron, whatever. They, they, they send you these different models. There are different types of civets. And one of them, I think it's the striped civet, was genetically linked as being basal to hyenas. So all of the, the four existing species and presumably the, all of the 50 fossil species. Think about that. We've got 50 fossil species of hyena and four existent ones. So all the four, dogs. Four chosen by God himself. <laughs> Go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, chosen by God. To thrust their head into the butthole of an elephant to eat it from the inside out. <laughs> I've seen that, Aaron. I've seen that video. That is one gross video. Thank God we're human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so I want people to understand that, that there, there are different dogs that are definitely different species of dogs, and not different breeds of dogs. So no domestic dog. You can get a domestic dog to interbreed with wolves. You can get wolves to breed with coyotes. You can't get wolves, coyotes, or domestic dogs to be able to breed with the African painted dog. That's a dog. That's not a wolf. It's not a jackal. It, it, it's a dog. Could a scientist, could he take an egg and a, and, a, and a sperm, and could he make it happen? I would say that uh, we've seen scientists take artificial insemination with some laboratory tech work to create a hybrid between camels and llamas. And they are way more distantly uh, separate than we are from chimpanzees. So they, it, should be, it should be easy enough that scientists could, could blend that. But there's no, you can't, you couldn't put a, a female Lycaean pictus and, and, and a male Canis lupus familiaris in the same pen. And if they, even if you raise them as puppies so they didn't kill each other immediately, you're never going to get puppies out of that because they're too genetically distinct. And the same goes for the bush dog and the same goes for the raccoon dog. The African wild dog is a really good-looking dog, too, I believe, visually. It's, it's and, one of my nightmares. It, it has a really interesting bark, Aaron. It sounds like when they bark as a group that they almost make beeps or, you know, boop, 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 or, you know, they make these weird yeah. sounds that don't sound like a dog bark. Wolves don't bark either. How the heck do dogs bark? Do you have any clue? There's an interesting study that was done in Russia in the 19, starting in the 1950s where it was a collection of foxes and they were breeding. They kept all these foxes in cages and it's not ethical by any standards today to have generations of foxes kept in cages like this. But what they were doing was they were breeding 
only the ones that showed the most docility or domestication. Right? So if, if you go put your gloved hand on the cage and the thing growls and snaps at you, that one, his genes are going away. They're gonna, just going to let that one die. But if it tolerates your hand being up there or if it shows affection towards you at all when you're feeding it, those get interbred. So what would happen in just a few generations was they ended up with incredibly domesticated foxes, which because of their domestication, because whatever gene affects taking out the, the t- taking out the, is it testosterone? What is, there's a, there's a fight or flight hormone that's common in some that, of the animals, but, but when we want it, out in the case of the Fox, we want the, fl- the fight out and we, even the flight, we want it dulled, right? right? We want right. It, so right. if you, you lose that hormone, and, I, and off the top of my head, I want to think that it's testosterone, but, but no, maybe it's not. Maybe it's uh, adrenaline. Adrenaline. Maybe that's it. So the, you don't have this adrenaline overload. So the thing is not in a flight or fight mode. It, it's cool. It's chill. It's lax, right? And so they, they bred. The, and with that, what they discovered was the ears went floppy. Yeah. And the tails went curly. And the colors. And the don't colors. they start to develop colors? You, you, you know the study. So, yeah, they started developing different color patterns. So it's just like dogs. And these are, these are foxes. So, that you know, they're distant from – you're not going to crossbreed a fox with a dog. They're still canids, but they're, they're far enough different. There's no way to interbreed them. But you still get the same kind of pattern, genetic pattern showing out of that. Their ultimate goal is to make a dog, though, correct? Like something that you could take and, and have as a pet? Isn't that the That wasn't their goal? goal. Their, their, their goal was just to, to find out what would, how would you breed docility into – could you? Just by selecting these different, that was the goal, was what, you know, could you breed a, a docile group just keeping them in cages like that? But it was completely incidental that they discovered all these other correlated things. Why do our dogs have floppy ears? Why do they have curly tails? Why do they have these weird patterns on them? And it all connects to the genetics of losing that fight or flight mode. Now, think about this. The barophagines that I mentioned before, those 300-pound bone crusher dogs, they're the original genetics there's no pooch in those things. So we ultimately found the wimpiest of the wimps, the pacifist <laughs> of the past, right? Well, is it? Let's, let's imagine that, that you or at are. Least, or at least the ones that think, you know, hey, I don't want to bite somebody unless they hurt me or whatever. That's the, exactly the, right. The, so the, now, the now think, about, think about you being like the, the master warrior of your time. You're, you're the biggest, baddest, brawniest fighter of your Bronze Age history, and here you are on Manhattan in the modern day, right? Try, trying to Are chill. you going to transfer your genes? No, you're going to fucking prison or dead. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to meet that guy in prison. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> so well, what I'm saying is, is in, in having a, a, a social skill, you know, being able to interact, this is not necessarily disadvantageous unless you're, unless you're set back into the wild. So we know that, that you, when you try, when you find, uh, you, we've all, all seen these things where like a deer is caught, like when he's got his, his, his antlers wrapped in a barbed wire fence or there's, a, there's an elk stuck in the mud or, or a moose stuck in the ice, you know, and somebody goes out and tries to rescue that poor animal. The animal's trying to kill them, refusing to understand that they're trying to help it. Right. Aren't, do, I think you and I go on the same YouTube video binges because I've seen all these <laughs> videos. Aaron, have you seen the ones where the crocodiles or alligators are frozen out of the pond? I haven't seen that one. Okay, there's one. <laughs> all the ones you've mentioned I've seen. I think what happens is we go to YouTube. It's just like TED Talks on YouTube. 
you click on one and it's like a bag of chips, right, Aaron? Before you know it, you're listening to your fifth TED Talk. You know? What happens with me is it, it, I, I like to cool my brain down in the middle at night when I'm going to bed. So I will turn on the stupid videos and, and I'll like, I don't know, watch 30 minutes of cat video or something like that. Because <laughs> otherwise, otherwise I can't go to sleep. Have you seen the one where the cat feeds the dog puppies? Tell me you've seen ones like that. <laughs> or have you seen the one where the dog feeds the tiger cubs? I have not. You got to. You got to just check those out. Because there's one where cats are feeding um, uh, golden labs or Labrador retriever puppies. And the cat just looks like it's in heaven. It's got all these dogs attached to it. It's like, (laughs) you know. I've seen the one where the tiger, (laughs) they, they cajole the tiger into feeding a bunch of piglets. They wrap the piglets up in tiger stripe bundles. <laughs> and it worked. And it worked. There's pictures of it. You can look it up. <laughs> That's cute. That sounds adorable. I love those videos. Um, unfortunately, Aaron, we've come to the end of the clock. I don't know if Warren and Michael disagree, but I thought Aaron was just totally pleasant. Aaron, would I, you be open for I maybe do, joining us again in the future? I, I could, could do, do this for another hour or two. That was so <laughs> fun. You are, you are great. And, so and much, by the way, I feel like, I feel like you're an open book of, of knowledge that, that you enjoy sharing. You know, when, when I, oh, I just want to, cause a lot of people tell me that, and I, that's not the way I view myself. Cause I, I honestly, I, I just feel stupid all the time. And that, that's why I'm always trying to learn. I'm a firm believer that if you have a hundred bucks and you share it with 10 people, you know, now you've all, you've lost 90 bucks and they've all gained 10 bucks, right? But if you share knowledge, everybody gains and nobody loses. So I thank you for being a part of it. Michael, do you and Warren, uh, do you guys have anything you want to say to Aaron before we let him go? We, we thank you a lot. I know I have personally learned a lot and made me think about a lot of things. I'm a believer in a different way but you made my mind go up and you said some things that made me start thinking. So thank you. Warren. Thank you. It's, been, it's been great. I've got, to, I could, I could listen to this for hours. In I fact, I've, I've listened to your YouTube videos. I was just entranced and stuff. You were explaining things. And I'm like, wow, this guy, hey, he's smart. Warren, you know, you've, you've helped me learn to love learning again. So I thank you for that to all of our listeners. Just remember if you have any business questions, you can always ask the experts, Warren Whitus and, and Michael Saunders. And if you ever want to visit Aaron, Aaron, what's your website real quick? Uh, preferably, A-R-O-N-R-A at, oh, I'm sorry, patreon.com forward slash A-R-O-N-R-A. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one that matters most to me because, you know, I got to get by. Thank everybody for joining you, uh, us, and we'll see you guys next week on the Michael Saunders Show. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed and learned from this edition of The Michael Saunders Show. Please join Michael and co-host Warren Whitus again next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, have an amazing week. And thanks again for listening. 